We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, the Lakers fell to the Dallas Mavericks in what was a pretty good game, at least for stretches of it. Dallas has, uh, I think, a 21-7 and record over their last uh, 28 games. Luka was phenomenal. Um, Lakers went down early in that game, Mike, and it felt like one of those games, like, I was watching it going, you know, I've seen this game before uh, in terms of the ebb and flow of it. We've had several that kind of went just like this. I also think that if we are ever going to get our feet underneath us and playing the best basketball that we can, there was a lot to like about that game uh, last night as well. But down the stretch, the Lakers scored, I think, four points in the last seven minutes or so. You know, uh, couldn't get a bucket and ended up blowing, I think, a six-point lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, just overall, uh, just impressions of last night, Mike. Yeah, so I thought they did a really nice job on Luca up until he took over crunch time. And so he still finished for him with a pretty pedestrian line. He was 9 for 21 from the field. He didn't hit a three. Uh, he did get to the free throw line 11 times. But they're, they competed pretty well on Luca, And, you know, they were – it was that familiar thing, though, Pete, where they fell behind by double digits. And it got up to the point where it was looking like it was going to snowball. And then they turned things around with a big third-quarter push to the point where they actually get up by six uh, late in the fourth quarter. And then Dallas uncorks an 11-0 run. And, and they're, Darius, the kind of questions that I was asking a lot of the guys after the game was the cumulative effect of these types of losses where it just keeps happening. And it seems like the basketball gods are against you in some senses, I think, when when that happens repeatedly. And there are reasons for it, which we're going to get into, but that – it's just a – it's not the same feeling – it's not the same taste after the New Orleans game because there were much better levels of competition. But yet, it's still you know far away from, from this ideal that I think LeBron specifically was holding on to after the game about, hey, like you're, you're going to have to actually put me 12 feet under you know, before I consider this thing over. So I wondered as you, as you watched on, like what stood out the most to you uh, and – and what do you think uh, is 
Here, I was going to say what's relevant moving forward, but let's just stick on last night for now. They played this exact game against the Clippers. It was like literally the exact game. I, I, I mean, almost down to like, oh, look, here's here's a good stretch where they played real, really well. I think the formula for how this team can play well is right there. When they lock in defensively in a way that allows them to play with more tempo and pace. And I think that this is a team where that stuff really does feed off of each other. The title team and even the team last year, defense was such a natural inclination to them. Like it it, it was really, truly one of the pillars of their team. So they could always fall back on playing defense. This team doesn't have that really as a foundation for their identity. And so I don't want to say it's it's the piece that no one is talking about, but there's a reason why the team looks as good as it does in the exact scenarios that it looks good and why it doesn't in so many other parts of the game. And some of that is schematic, like some of that is who's on the court, but I've seen this team go on massive runs where Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis are on the floor with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. And in theory, those units should not play well at all, or maybe not LeBron, but with, but I've seen like a Russ AD and Dwight unit kill. Just like I've seen a LeBron Stanley and Austin Reeves front court kill. There's massive discrepancies between the types of players and the lineups that can succeed, but the style that they succeed with is pretty much always the same. They are speeding their opponents up. They are playing with a defensive focus and they are getting out and creating baskets in transition. And there is a wave to that, Pete. There is a feeling of, of like, we are more forceful than you. We are, we are just like coming at you with more spirit and with more attack. And when they cannot find that, then they are suddenly not the same team. And they can manufacture that some with pace. And I think when they do that offensively, then the other team can respond and sort of get baited in to it some. But to me, it's still like a defensive question and finding the right ways that they can defend. So you brought up the idea that they don't have a defensive identity to fall back on. And one of the things that I really liked about that game is I thought they started to establish more of that. So first and foremost, I don't I was thinking about this last night and that I that idea of identity. And I I think that this team's been f- trying to figure out its identity all season long. We went to the All-Star break and we came back with the starting four and five of Trevor Ariza and Dwight Howard. We lost those two games. And last night, we go a completely different approach. And I just want to stop there before continuing. I think that fact in and of itself, Mike, is remarkable because regardless of the individual players and how good they are, how good they aren't are, Trevor Ariza and Dwight Howard is a very different lineup than the Russ, Monk, Reeves, Stanley, and LeBron starting lineup that we had. It's almost like the exact opposite, right? And so uh, Frank went small last night, and I thought that starting group played well in both of their shifts. They only played two shifts to start the first quarter and to start the third quarter. Austin did not close the game in favor of Malik, which, yeah, I I thought we could have used Austin down the stretch. But just in and of itself, Mike, I, I... I thought that 
I, I think we've been kind of searching for our identity all year. And, you know, with 20 games left in the season, that's still a, a question. But last night, going to that and seeing that starting group in particular succeed, I think is at least something to build off of, especially with the Clippers coming up in the next game where, like Darius said, we kind of just played this same game and we succeeded when we when we pushed the pace. And defensively is where I really saw that Frank in a timeout was talking about how like your box out integrity or like he's got a phrase for it that I don't quite remember. But he was really praising them for their box outs. And like, we're not going to win all of these because we're small. That's that's my note added to it. But if we keep doing this, we will win enough of them to be able to get out and transition. So uh, that. That's something, Mike, that just the team identity, I think that they've been looking for all year. And I, I thought last night was a good night as a step in kind of figuring out who they are. Yeah. So the I'm I think I'm mostly with you as usual. The tricky part is that they basically played eight guys last night because Dwight played four minutes. And that meant that LeBron played 38, Westbrook played 38, Malik Monk actually played 39 and a half minutes. And I agree. I also like Austin could have played some more and maybe certainly replaced some of those minutes for either Russ or Monk. But so that's one thing that you can do there. But, you know, the DNP, of course, was Ariza. Bradley's out with the injury. Ellington was also a DNP. And Bays played 17 minutes. We had been talking about that, right? We had been talking about Bays getting back into the rotation. And I think that that helped. Uh, he did make a couple threes. He did do a couple of his typical base things where he kind of dribbles and he <laughs> and he's in the paint and then he throws the ball. Like that's going to happen a couple times a game. It's fine. It's can't, you know, but so there, the reason I point that out though, is that, is that the bench wasn't particularly great, right? Last night, THT was minus 13 mellow. Uh, even though he made some shots was minus eight. You know, if you start Austin and Malik, which again, I agree. Like I liked how the starting lineup played in the first quarter and the third quarter. And so did Frank Vogel, by the way, because he said so after the game. But then they had some weak spots and some weak lineups off the bench. And guess what? That's just going to. So we've been focusing yeah. a lot on the starting lineup or the bench. And, and like it is much more about style and consistency and effort. And I think where I'm not saying that I agree with this for my own personal opinion, just relaying what Frank Vogel has been saying consistently all year is that he hasn't felt like. He's had a lineup that has worked so well that he can stick with it. And he's felt like he has to keep changing it. And I've asked him, well, is it a chicken egg thing? Because what if you just stick with one lineup? And then even if they struggle some for a couple <laughs> mm -hmm. games, like, all right, this is it. We're going to play this way. We're going to play this way. Yes, we had a bad game. But they've guys, they've had some really bad games with the different lineups. And then a guy gets hurt. So I guess, Darius, my point out of that would be, I think it would be great if they stuck with this group. For, and just we're small. Dwight, if Dwight's going to come in and play some, you know, to bang with certain guys, but on some nights he's not going to have it. In which case, if we get beat up inside a little bit, so be it. Right. But this is what they're going to. And hopefully that game being like that, regardless of if it's Zubots coming up next or whoever the biggest going to be, Jakob Pertle, you know, mm -hmm. like, like just uh, that would be that would be nice. I, I think if they could stick with that type of thing. And maybe we get Darius's thoughts after the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, I agree. I think the coaches probably agree as well. I think the tricky part is actually getting them to stick to it even when things start to go bad again. I don't think that it's like what the coaches want to do. It's not their natural instinct to be like, let's be really small across the board and and play this really fast, chaotic style of play. So I think that speaks to your point, though, is that when you're doing something you're not used to doing and it's not going well, you have... A- That's not the point I'm making, though, about like style oh, of play sorry. necessarily. It's more just, I think they're searching for something that's going to work and that is going to succeed. And I think when they see marginal gains, they're going to want to try to keep doing that. And then I think when it fails, your instinct is to go back and try something different again and i think that and that's really building on mike's point right is is that this idea of frank has said this a lot during post games about this idea of well we're gonna take what we learned from this game and try to apply it to the next game right and and like there's truth in that and then there's like and I'm not calling Frank a BSer, but there's BS in that too, right? Like that's coach speak. It's like, oh, let me get back and watch the tape. Like Luke Walton said that shit every game, basically, when like the team was struggling. Like, oh, well, let me go back and watch the tape and then I'll be able to tell you. And like, yeah, the tape reveals all, so I get it. My point is, though, is I'm with you, Mike. Like at some point, at some point, you have to say, look, these are the dudes we're going to play. The hard part is, is that the Lakers didn't play eight guys, Mike. They played seven and a half because they got a half of a, they got a half of an Austin Reeves, basically, and they got a half of a Kent Bazemore, right? And then meanwhile, like Malik Monk was at like 1.25 and THT was like at 1.25 or Malik might've even been at one and a half because if Malik's at 40 minutes, that's too many. And yeah. THT's at 33 minutes. And so, Pete, you had mentioned like, oh, we didn't get back to the starting lineup. Well, in theory, then the guy who Austin was benched for wasn't Malik Monk. It was for THT because THT was mm-hmm. in the game instead of him because Malik started the game. Now, I thought Malik needed a rest. He looked tired to me a little bit. He looked like he was going to the basket a lot and playing through a, a fair amount of contact and he wasn't finishing. And And then he wasn't really getting open looks and the game slowed down. And I thought that they just needed new legs in the lineup in general. Well, I think that 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 may very well come in the form of DJ Augustine, uh, Wenyan Gabriel and Avery Bradley's return. Right. So I think that, Mike, your point of and this is this is something that. If we are going to play fast, you can't do that with eight guys and with LeBron playing 38, 40 minutes a game. That that's a math problem you have at that point. But that's I think 
part of the reason why that it's worth extending the rotation to 10, 11 guys. Once we get, you know, Augustine, Gabriel, uh, and, and Bradley, I've thought since, again, before any of the results came in at the beginning of this season, I, I didn't think we could win in a conventional basketball game. But I do think that we can force teams into unconventional play. And one of the things that's really stood out to me about the NBA in general is, I'm sure you guys remember the old school NBA of the 90s. And uh, what's so different now is everything is pretty homogenous. Everybody's kind of in the same spots, running the same actions. And a lot of that is informed by analytics. It is the most efficient uh, the most efficient way to score is you're standing here, you're doing, you're standing there. If the defense does this, you do that. But what happens is teams get very comfortable. And if you watch Phoenix play, they're probably the best example of the league. Or best example in the league of this is that they do all of what they do in their sleep. And so, but what I think the Lakers are capable of is taking teams out of their comfort zone and and in, with that running and fast paced type of style, but you do need the bodies to be able to do that. But to your point, though, Mike, like I think this is the foundation of something. It's not where you know it's not where it can be, but I think that doing this, sticking with this, and then adding to it, adding a few more legs between Bradley, Augustine, and Gabriel. That's I think you could get fifty minutes a game out of those three. I don't think that's uh, an overestimation, and that gets you a good portion of the two forty that you need to. And so I, I just think that there's something there in that game that can be built off of. Well, th- that's that's all true, and I also think just the what they've had trouble sustaining is this certain level of energy combined with the pressure. That I now think that not this wouldn't apply to me as much to LeBron, but to the various guys on the roster that are aware of how how just disappointing it is right now to have the record be where it is based on what their expectations are. And so when they show up to to the uh, crypto.com arena and they're looking up around there and it's it's not that same level of positivity for for the player in his own head i guess is the way i'm thinking not what the fans are bringing but just that like you're you're showing up you're getting off the bus and you're puffing out your chest with the lakers on there you know because you're feeling like a title contender and some guys it seems like that seems like that's had some level of impact and i'm curious how this road stretch is now going to impact the lakers where they still need to win these games just as much but it's it's sort of a different kind of pressure um that's there and sometimes that can be a good thing. Now, usually this is early in the season that you want to cultivate some of these things, but I'm just, it's been so long guys since we've been on the road. I mean, it's, it's been, I think there, I've been, I know that I've certainly been in my house a lot lately, which doesn't usually happen for these many stretches throughout the course of a season. And this Clipper game doesn't really count, right? That's on Thursday as since it's a road game, but it's in LA, but that's uh, to fast forward how this this energy and effort and the style and all these things coalesce. I think it's going to be interesting to see what that road factor does uh, does for them. I think there's a blessing and a curse to that. I think that you mentioned, you know, we were talking last night that maybe being on the road would be good for them. Uh, and that's something that being in that environment can bring people together. It can also be, you know, if that whole getting punched in the mouth and not doing anything about it for long stretches. That's part of the what we saw in last night's game. That idea D of we've seen this game be played several times with the Clippers game being the most recent example of 
there was a play where Dwight Powell came streaking down the middle of the court and just just yammed it on everyone because they didn't they just didn't pick him up in transition. And it's a simple thing. It's something that a, a high school team can do, but they didn't do it. And there's been a lot of that, like other teams going up by 20 on the Lakers and getting stats and the whole bench is going nuts, Mike, and all of that. And it's like, yo, are you not going to, are you not going to punch back? And so the flip side of going on the road is I think teams would love to run the Lakers by 20, 25, 30 points in their home gym in front of their home fans and all of that. So there's a certain level of fight that we need to see from them like out of the gates, you know? Well, let me pull back to what I think more of the topic was before I went on that little road tangent. And this, so a style, and you've talked about some of the way the teams play around the league, Pete. Golden State style has been there now for several years. And Steve Kerr, in fact, kept it last year to the angerment of certain Warriors fans because they wanted staff to just run a million pick and rolls, right? And with what the rest of the roster was. But now that even though it's it benefited them up to an extent this year, and then once a key cog like Draymond went out, all of a sudden it doesn't look as good. And so it's it, I it's so reductive to always be like, well, Anthony Davis isn't out there. And that sort of impacts because the whole benefit of when they went small and we saw that even in a in a possession to possession game is that you still had AD out there to clean things up and to give LeBron an outlet, not just as a roller, but as somebody else who could create a shot on the other side of the floor. And it's just so to me, noticeably, noticeably absent when we get into these possession games late, like it was for Luca on one end and then LeBron on the other. And I just feel AD's presence or lack thereof. A lot there because th- those aren't the possessions where Russ is necessarily going to be able to, you know, to take over mm-hmm. in his own way. So then it's all on LeBron, who's then who's been having to carry a lot of other weight just to get them to that point. And LeBron's had to do a lot of running at his at his age throughout the course of a game for this small ball type style to work. And so that's that's one thing. The other is a style of play usually for a team and for a coaching staff is kind of discussed and broken down over the course of an off season and then taught in training mm-hmm. camp and then perfected, mm-hmm. you know, and so that my expectations for them to just suddenly be able to, to really figure out how to keep playing small like this are very low. I, I just want like, I, I want to get to like, say you got to get to step Z, you got to get A through Z uh, to win a title. If they're on step C right now of being a small ball team, let's get to step F or G. You know what I mean? So it's more of a progress type of thing. And that's where I hear what you were saying about the all-star break. And and I'm with you, right? Like, so maybe, well, hold on. We know that it can't work, right? Or let's, it hasn't worked with Ariza for reasons X, Y, Z. You know, and so that, so that part, that part, I hear you because it's like, well, I don't, this team probably can't win this way, but yeah the that part of it that part of it is tricky and maybe that's why i was hinting earlier in the pod like maybe at this point they can this is what this is what it's going to be and it's not ideal but it's going to be better than than going back to kind of switching styles which also hasn't worked Yes. Yeah. Switching constantly, uh, not defensively, but switching just stylistically uh, all the time. You never get your your legs under you. Let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about the offense uh, a little bit. 
Darius, we had that game kind of right in our grasp, but we were uh, we were unable to close it out in large part because we couldn't score. And that's something that, I, that coming into this year, I think that if you told a, if you told us, you know, I'm from the future and this Lakers team is not going to be very good on defense back in the preseason and, and offseason, we would have been like, yeah, that sounds about right. But offensively, they're not going to be very good on offense either. I think that would have been a bit of a, a surprise. And so we, we have these long stretches where we just can't score. And so I'm just curious on your thoughts on why do you think that is? I'm going to go into LeBron mode right here. Some of the shots the Lakers got were good shots and they missed them. That's one reason why they didn't score. LeBron pointed out several shots that like Malik actually did miss three layups. Mm-hmm. He actually did. Austin miss had those. some great looks. Austin Mello had, had some, some wide open looks. threes and Melo had a couple of wide open threes and none of them went in. That part of it is that part of it, right? I, I'm I based off of the tenor of your question, I know that's not necessarily what you were asking me, but I did want to point that part out too, because two sure. or three of those shots go in, and then who knows what how the game shifts a little bit. I I'll 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 just do a quick flip side here out of fairness to the game of Stanley. basketball. Yes. Like yes. you can't expect no. Stanley Johnson to bang three threes, you know, his first three. So it's like, but yes. The, the miss, miss layups are tough. Yeah. Not to argue against myself because I wasn't arguing anything like make or miss league, yada, yada, yada. Mello went three for six from three. So if he makes those two that were wide open that LeBron called out post game, he's five for six from three. And it's like, oh, holy shit. Mello went five for six from three. So forget mm-hmm. what Stanley did. You also don't expect Mello like a 50% three night from Mello on six attempts. That's a great night from a shooting perspective. He had 20 points. Great for him. One of the things that I've been harping on a lot this this year are who are your best players? Where are your players best at scoring from? And what do they need to actually get to those spots on the floor? Right. And the Lakers closed the game with Russell Westbrook and Taylor Horton Tucker and LeBron James all on the court at the same time. Those three players want to operate from the same spots on the floor. Pretty Mm -hmm. much. None -hmm. of them have an in-between game. None of them. LeBron has an in-between game from the post because he will shoot the fade, right? And he will sort of drive middle sometimes and shoot that drifting jumper, but he doesn't really have a jump hook. He doesn't have a floater game. Russell Westbrook doesn't have a floater game. Taylor Horton Tucker does not have a floater game. These guys are at the rim or they are shooting contested mid-range jumpers that are difficult shots for anyone in the league. They are difficult shots. And LeBron can hit those, right? THT can hit those at some times too. They look nice, little rainbow parabola shot. But these dudes operate from the same spot on the floor. And then they had Malik Monk. And then, and it's sort of just like, okay, well, what does your offense functionally look like when these are the players who were on the court? And sometimes it was drive, kick, drive, kick, drive, kick, swing, swing. Oh, look, the beautiful game. And sometimes it's drive, kick, drive, kick, drive, drive, kick, drive, jump, stop, pivot, pivot. Like there's nothing here. One thing about Russ and THT and Austin in particular is I think they pass up a lot of shots. And there are times where that drive and kick is to an open shot, Mike, where that guy doesn't really want to take that shot. And so I think Darius, uh, Darius's point, um, I think it really speaks to 
you can only have so many of those guys on the floor at the same time, right? Like it, having Russ and LeBron and THT, this is something we've talked about with, you know, kind of kicking around who are the other two spots in the starting lineup. And this is a point you've made a lot is like, what does THT do when LeBron and Russ are in the game at the same time? And so I think that that's part of, of it is that when you've got that many people that want to operate in the same area and that many people who don't want to take this sort of open three, then you you end up with with some difficulties there. But I'm, I'm curious from, from your view, what's your take on our offensive struggles? The area that I thought to first, as we were discussing it, and you just mentioned Russ and I think that having a, a it's one thing when you have a non shooter and kind of like a non spacer in one of the big spots. And I don't I don't know if they figured out how to compensate for for that coming, at least to the level that it's at right now with Russ and Russ acknowledged this after the game last night. So, you know, he's in February, he shot 36 percent for the month and 16 percent from three. And he's five for 17 this last game. And he's he's not just struggling from three, as Frank Vogel described, he's struggling at the rim. So that for that to come from a guard spot and then also, you know, have to find a way to be be efficient and impactful at the bigger spots when you've got like a Stanley Johnson in there. Now, he happened to hit threes last night, but still he's being guarded a certain way. And it's just a I don't have the answer for that when Russ is in that kind of lack of a rhythm, because on the one hand, you can't pass up the wide open shots in certain, in certain instances, like the corner three. Yeah. And in other instances, when you just do what the defense is asking you to do, and Jason Kidd knows this, you know, he knows. So I don't, I don't know the answer for, uh, for Russ specifically in that spot. And he's out there in those types of moments. And then you also add THT. That to me is just a difficult problem to solve. I think the point that Pete was making about, and you made this point too, Mike, about passing up open shots and like the the adage of you're open for a reason and where players are in their own headspace about how they treat, how they respond to that statement. Stanley Johnson in this last game is just like, I'm open for a reason. I'm banging these. I don't care. You leaving me open? I'm cookie jar. Right. Like I'm holding that gooseneck and he was taking shots with confidence and the the calculus that players go through in their mind in the decision making about what am I going to do on any given possession and am I going to take this shot versus am I going going to drive? Those are microsecond decisions, Pete. Those are and they almost come down to instinct and they come down to like like that fight or flight situation and whenever i see any player turn down a wide open jumper in order to go into a drive and kick that's flight mm. that mm-hmm. is nope i'm out yep. of here this ain't I'm my not spot. comfortable with y- this yep yep this is not my spot on the floor i am i am going somewhere else with this and i'm going to try to create some something else and i so part of why the lakers are struggling is that reason as well too right it's like that that what is your natural inclination as a player and then to bridge onto that gap and i'd love to kick it to you here to comment either on what i just said or what i'm about to say part of the natural inclination of lebron james 
down the stretch of that game was there's six minutes left or five and a half minutes left. I am now slowing the game down. And I thought that process happened too early mm-hmm. in the context of the fourth quarter. And, and he slowed it down against the Clippers too. And that came much later in the game. I think there were only two and a half minutes left in that game. And the Lakers were up six and they still found a way to lose. You know why? Because they didn't score anymore because they went into sort of prevent offense mode a little bit. And the Lakers are not good enough in the half court unless one of their shot makers, especially LeBron, is actually just knocking down shots. Right. You need one of those guys when the Lakers have been good in crutch time. You know what it's looked like. Oh, Damn it. Look at LeBron. He is just unbelievable right now. Holy Two cow. Man game with Malik see, Monk. Yep. Holy yep. cow. You see these shots Malik Monk is knocking down? These are great shots, right? Like, I can't believe he's knocking these shots down. You've seen Melo go off, and it's sort of just like, oh, my God, like the shot making. And it's not system. It's not scheme. It's not necessarily even execution. It's I'm better than you. It's one-on-one, mano-a-mano, like, I'm going after you. I'm creating this shot. And I thought the inclination of LeBron, he went to that pitch too early. And I think it's because that's part of his mindset, too, of I am the chess master. I can control the game. And it turned into a LeBron versus Luka matchup, and Luka hit the shots, and LeBron didn't. And it's one of the reasons why... Pete and Mike, I think you were asking about this post game where LeBron was basically just like, I got to be better. I got to make like I got to make the plays. And some of it is just that, too. The Lakers offense is a lot of that. It's like, go make the play. And they haven't been at the rate that they need need to be. Mike brought up Russ. I just brought up LeBron. But what are you seeing? I mean, you could bring up Malik too, right? In terms of that offensive firepower, there is, it's very much like we're reliant upon individual shot creation. That's the, the concept of the team. But I think that THT is a guy that stands out to me in that you have to be careful of what lineups you play him with. One thing we've talked about a lot this season is the idea that the Lakers lineups are very sensitive and that if you have too much of one thing or too little of another thing, it goes south very quickly. Uh, And I think THT is probably the individual player on our team that that is most susceptible to that in that part of the reason why uh, Luca can go off down the stretch is that everybody else on the floor can shoot the ball. Or everybody else, you know, or he's got a role threat in Dwight Powell. If THT is on the floor with LeBron and Russ down the the closing stretch of a game, which he was for most, if not all, of the last part of that game, they're going to pull attention off of him. And those micro decisions you were talking about on catch and shoots, THT does that as much as anyone, that I'm open, but I'm going to attack this closeout. But they didn't close out to you all the way. They closed out short because they're fine with you taking a lightly contested catch and shoot three. And so I, I think that that's just something to keep an eye on is that Talon is, I view him as one of our few D and three players. And, but if he's on the court, Mike, with Russ and LeBron at the same time, again, this is a point that you've made quite a bit that I'm not sure what his offensive functionality is, especially in those slowed down situations that Darius was talking about. And I think this is where we get back to that, that there aren't a lot of 
there aren't a lot of lineups where we can just be like, oh yeah, that that is definitely going to work in all yep. all different ways. And that's part of the reason why they're where they're at. But I'm now curious to see if just adding DJ Augustine and it's like the it it seems a little bit futile to hope that that's going to just massively change uh, what things are what's going on. But his specific skill set, I don't know. Maybe it's going to allow for some little lift with that unit, with that second unit, and just to have another guy that's kind of a competent shooter out there. And then we can also be talking about why it's you know why it's difficult to have him on the defensive side of the court. So he's not a perfect player either. And he's not going to come in to change everything, but I'm, I'm still, uh, I, I think that LeBron is trying to set that tone where it's pretty like now we know. Do you see how many far games back there are the Clippers right now? Yeah, I, I really don't care about the standings but, at this point, honestly. But that's but, what I'm saying. Yeah. But because they're lobby, you don't care about it because they're locked in to either being the like the probably the ten or being out of it. I mean, I don't care about it because we haven't done like the first thing of like establishing what our identity is in the first place. So I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very. But there's 20 games left. Right. So like it's still do you want that's the question for you. Right. And for the players, like, do you still want a chance? Right. This whole play in. And so I think you can't. It's the it's this whole we're getting to the point of the season where you can't separate that just got to be better the next game. Then like the playing game thing is coming up. So like those two ideas are connected to me at this point. I actually think the fact that we're kind of locked into that spot is all the more reason to get better than the next game, because in some respects, the results sort of matter, but don't really right now. Like we have to stay in that in in that playing spot, but it's almost guaranteed that we're in one of those last two spots. So I think just getting better at what we do is something that is that is important. And I think that the next game coming up against a team that we just played is a chance to illustrate that and so we'll be back tomorrow to uh, talk more lakers maybe talk a little bit uh, around the nba here on the laker film room podcast james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tip to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good and the lakers win the game the lakers win the game three seconds left that next to the winner it's on the way A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Got clocked out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. 
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.